Hi everyone. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Vin. I'm the young adults pastor here, and so that's enough said for me, right? Anyway, if you guys, we continue our series in the book of Philippians. So if you want to open up there, we begin in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. But let me start off uh, with this. You know, before moving uh, to Abbotsford, or for anyone, moving to a new city, getting into a new job, one of the things that you need to do or one of the things that you should do before taking a new job and moving into a new city is, well, you've got to know what you're getting yourself into. You don't go in there completely blind, whether it be about the workplace or about the city you're moving into. So before leaving purgatory, otherwise known as Calgary, And then moving to Abbotsford and then to come come on staff here uh, at Northview, I I actually had to do a lot of research, whether it be online or whatnot, about the culture of Abbotsford, but also my new workplace, Northview. Some of the things I found out before joining any workforce for me is, first of all, what you have to find out is you have to find out who's the most dominant person on staff. Then you gotta go in there and show them, show them who's boss and dominate them. <laughs> Jeff Bucknam's in Chicago now. <laughs> Mark Birch, you're next. <laughs> then you hear stories of Vin, you moving to Abbotsford, guess what, it's, it's gonna rain a lot. That's okay, I shower a lot, not an issue. But even today was proof that, you know, moving to Abbotsford, one of the things you find out is there will always be a pungent smell that sits across our wonderful city. And those watching online, I bet you you can smell smell it over there too. But Northview as a church overall has been founded in its staff and all that has, we've existed for 40 years. We were founded by, you know, a group of Mennonites. I had no idea what a Mennonite was, so I started typing it up. I Googled, what's a Mennonite? You know, one of the results is Mennonite dancing. (laughs) It sounds saucy at first, and then you realize it's the very opposite of saucy. But Mennonite dancing, it's the perfect dance for us today. You know why? Because we're meant to be six feet apart anyway. (laughs) But all joking aside, before picking up Laura, my two kids, and moving to a new city, before joining the the team here at Northview, I actually did as much reading and listening and as, as much talking and asking the right question as I moved to a new city, as I joined this team. And there were actually many people in Calgary who had moved away from Abbotsford and moved to Calgary for work or whatever other reasons. And the word that would keep coming up as I would sit down and ask questions was the word simple. They don't mean the word simple as like the idea of simpleton. That's not what they meant. The word that they, I think they were referring to was the word humble. That there's something about Abbotsford there's something about the staff and the people of Northview that they're simple, they're humble. 
And now that I've been on the team, I can say that that's a core value for people at Northview. And since I'm aware of it and it surrounds me, it deeply encourages me to be the same. So in Philippians chapter four, verses one to three, let me read it for us. It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So this very sort of short section is to the Philippians is, um, is actually very loving and pastoral by the Apostle Paul who has written this. So loving, so pastoral, I just realised this is everything I'm not. But there are three points I want to make. First is, keep standing. Second, keep talking. And third, keep the time, okay? Keep standing, keep talking, keep the time. First thing, keep standing. If you look in verse one, the very first word that kind of jumps out is the word therefore. So what we have to now do is figure out what was said before in order to move forward. In Philippians, one of the things that um, the Apostle Paul ends with is in chapter three, verses 18 to 19, where he gives this warning to the church, hey, many have walked away from Jesus, many have walked away from the faith, and they have become enemies of Jesus. And then when, when Paul sort of gets to you know, uh, chapter four, verse one, he uses certain words here. When you, look, when you look back at chapter four, verse one, he uses words like love, long, joy, crown, and the word beloved. Paul uses these terms, these very loving and endearing terms to bring the reader in closer, like a loved one. Paul uses the word twi- love twice, the word love and beloved, within the same sentence. So you can see great, Paul's great confidence in his love for them, but he also realises Christ's love for the church. He knows this because of the cross. And then he tells them, when he brings them in close, he then tells them, hey, beloved, stand firm. So why do we need to stand firm? A few years ago in in Calgary, before I moved here, I, I witnessed, I actually witnessed a young man trying to carjack, so rob an old man of his car with a gun. The police came and gathered, sort of, once the police came, the guy escaped, and the police came in and they lined up, they sort of got all of us as witnesses. There was about four of us there. And we were waiting for the police, and the police would go around to each and every one of us and ask the question, describe the criminal, describe the person. And I would say, oh, you know, he's about five foot 10, white Caucasian male, aged between 28 to 32. So they write those details down and then they say, look, we, we, we will call you soon. Eventually, they do call me. And the person on the phone tells me, okay, because you were there, you saw the crime actually being committed. We caught the guy. We need you to go to court. 
And I was like, what for? And they said, you know, to, to, to sort of point him out. Once I put the phone call down, you have to understand, one thing you have to understand about me is I can daydream a lot. So I started to daydream about all those court TV dramas. <laughs> so I'm on the stand, what's gonna happen, because I've been like, asked to go to court, but I'm on the stand in my imagination and the defence lawyer comes up to me and starts to say to me, hey, point out that guy. And after on the stand, point that that's him right there. But he doesn't end there. He then goes, are you sure? Are you sure, Vin, that that's the guy? Because I mean, the sun was in, are you sure you weren't distracted? Are you sure that the sun wasn't in your eyes? Were you in the right angle? Are you sure that was him? Because you know, Every white guy looks the same. <laughs> and then when he gets you to that point, you start to feel like, oh, yeah, maybe they're right. You know what I mean? Maybe, you know, I, I, maybe it was the wrong guy. And there's this constant pressure coming from all places for the church as well, for us here today for our bodies, our minds, our souls, our attention, our love. Like the church in Philippi was actually located in Greece and under, it was under Roman rule. The city itself of Philippi was designed to be like Rome. And the people dressed as Romans. There was a constant pressure for all those living there to be like the Romans. The Apostle Paul who writes his letter to the church in Philippi does not tell the church, save yourselves, run and hide. There's no escape. There's just too much pressure. Paul doesn't then tell the the Christians in Philippi to start wearing Christian t-shirts or put on your best Christian tattoos so that everyone can know for sure. What does he tell the church to do? He doesn't tell them to run and hide. He tells them to stand firm. But he says that we've got to stand firm. We, as in we together, united, need to stand firm. When he says stand firm, we have to now ask the question, stand firm on what? We have to look at all of the book of Philippians to see what we need to be standing on. And I'll point out a few things to see what the word says and then what the world would say. See, in chapter one, verses 21, the word tells us that to die is gain, right? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. But the world would come in and tell you, but you should live for yourself. Then in chapter one, verse 27, The word says, hey, the gospel defines all of life. And the world will come in and say, but I thought the gospel was only for salvation, for for you to get to heaven, that's it. Nothing else. Not for work, not for pleasure, not for all aspects of life. Chapter two, verses 13, it's the word says, hey, all things are done. All things are done for the glory of Jesus. But the world will come in and say, no, but do all things for yourself. Chapter two, verse 16, it tells us to hold on tight to the words of Jesus. And the world will come in and say, hey, let's hold on to the words that, that we like best. 
You get to pick and choose the words that, of Jesus that you like. In chapter three, verse nine, we are saved because of his righteousness. But the world will come in and say, but you're a good person. Doesn't that count? So in this time, we need to be standing in the words of Jesus. But sadly, some things have become all-consuming to us. In the last two years, the amount of conversations I had about, you know exactly what. The conversations I've had with people in Northview and outside of Northview about mass, no mass, vaccine, passports, freedom convoy, whatever it is, there's some, some conversations are so sort of detailed about, oh, you know, the percentage of people who get a vaccine will, not, you know, will be safe in their body and their immune system will be, and they'll give you numbers to the decimal place. It's consumed us completely. It's overwhelming. The pressure is there. And Jesus does warn us in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What you talk about most shows what your heart loves most. Um, when Laura, my wife, and I were first dating, oh, when we're dating, I was so into it. And just so you know, in a, in a few months, I'll be doing our pre-marriage stuff, so here we go. <laughs> My wife's favourite colour is orange. So when we were dating, what, and one of her favourite candies is Skittles. So what I did was, before moving you know, to Canada, I bought a giant bag of Skittles, like a gigantic bag. You know what I did? Took them, put them out all in a bowl, and I picked out all the orange ones, every single one. When I got, you know, when I got and I landed in Canada, here you go, honey. That was part of our dating ritual. I was always sort of pursuing her. I can honestly say that I've stopped dating my wife a long time ago. I'm busy, she's busy, the kids are completely chaotic. Then we start to look at couples who are still dating and they're posting pictures of their romantic dinners and, and Laura and I just sit there and look at, our, look at each other and think, what a bunch of losers. <laughs> the truth is, I have to still pursue Laura, just not with Skittles, but I must pursue her because if I don't, the love grows cold. We need to stand firm and pursue Jesus to talk about Jesus. So let's talk about Him. Let's talk about how lovely He is, how wonderful, how beautiful, how gracious, how merciful, how gentle, how humble and good and perfect and magnificent and faithful and joyful and patient that He is. And let that, as we talk about that, let that stir our affections for Him. Because what we need to know is this, church. Theology leads to doxology. That means what we believe should lead us to worship. Yeah. 
But orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Right thinking leads to right living. Stand firm. That's what he says. But he says, stand firm thus in who? In the Lord. Because you can't do it yourself. You're not meant to do it yourself. You've got to do it in the Lord, which means all this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, keep talking. Yoda and Sentiki, these are the two women now in verse two that are named and they are to deal with their dispute publicly. Yoda and Sentiki are called out individually and encouraged, entreated individually to work this issue out publicly. Like a father stopping his two children fighting. Paul doesn't care who started the fight. And it didn't matter whose fault it was and what words were thrown. The Apostle Paul does not tell us what the dispute is. We don't know. But this much is clear. It needed to be dealt with. It needed to be addressed. It needed to be exposed into the light. And then he tells them, after he entreats them, encourages them, he tells them to, hey, agree in the Lord. The wording is confusing, agree in the Lord. Paul is not telling them to come to an a agreement, a, this perfect conclusion. The translation is better translated as, hey, hey, Iodia and Syntyche, agree in the Lord, which is have the same mind as the Lord. Because the term is now repeated, this is the second time it's said. The first time it occurs happens in chapter two. And the whole theme of chapter two verses all the way to verse 11, that theme continues, which is have the same mind as Jesus. And what mind did Jesus have? Well, as chapter two unfolds, chapter two tells us, even though Jesus is God, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And so Paul is saying, have that mind. I've been married for nine years, so you know what that means? It means I'm an expert. but there are still things I shockingly get wrong. Like when Laura's out of the house and she knows I'm home and she'll send me a text and she says, can you tidy up? See, the way I translate the word tidy is very different to what she actually means. I'm more thinking about, just so you know, there's books all over my house because I'm reading this book, this book, and they're everywhere. So I think get the books and just put them in a nice stack or move the flowers from the kitchen to the coffee table over there. And as a man, I step back and look like, wow, I did a great job. (laughs) But that fantasy becomes a nightmare when Laura comes home and says, did you even do anything? (laughs) And during those moments, after I put in the hard work to carry all those books and put them in a nice pile and move the flowers from here to there, she feels like my enemy, but she's not. 
I know she's the one I'm called to love and sacrifice for. And then sometimes some things in other moments within our marriage, things can get so difficult and hard, we have to bring in others to help us, to talk about it, to come to some type of resolution. You know, one, of the, one piece of advice that keeps coming up is, Vin, she's not wrong. She's different. Oh, and I fight back and say, but, but it, she feels wrong. But thank goodness my love for Laura is not based on my feelings. As we keep talking, the truth is it deepens our relationship and our love for each other, not less. In the last two years, and if you don't believe it, believe me, you can talk to Pastor Thalia. In the last few years, I've heard of too many stories of families, family members, no longer talking to each other. Best friends are no longer friends. Neighbours who no longer want to be neighbours. People who despise each other for having different views. And Christians are involved in this and they no longer want to talk to other Christians. And what they want to do is Let's just avoid the other person to avoid the topic. Church, we actually need to keep talking. We need to expose ourselves to the light. Let's not avoid hard topics of life. Let's not bury our heads under the sand and sweep things under the carpet, hoping that things will go away. Because even if COVID moves on, something else will come and replace it. And when needed, there are brothers and sisters amongst you who would help. You see, last week, Pastor Mark mentioned that there will be many issues facing the church in the future. From Bill C4 to future amendments to how marriage is defined, to what can and cannot be said from the Bible, or even how the church is sort of currently viewed as a charitable organization. All those in the future will be up for grabs. But threats not only come from the outside of the church, they also come from the inside of the church. In the last two years, again, no place has been safe, in particularly online. From pastors I have conversation with to other churches, to those who have friends and family, Has anyone noticed that online, on all church accounts, to pastors, to whatever it is, um, on Instagram accounts, if there's a photo of a group of people, and there's a group of people in that shot and none of them are wearing masks, in the beginning people will start commenting on on those people not wearing masks. I know that things got so bad for so many churches and so many pastors were walking on eggshells that they had to eventually put in a caption. And the caption says, photo taken, pre-COVID, just to shut you up. My question is, why can't we think the best of each other? Why can't we just simply believe that the photo was taken before the pandemic? 
And why do we feel like the best place to share our opinion is online? Don't fight to be right. Fight to be right. Let me explain. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. We fight to be right, and that's a problem. But we don't fight to be right, to be reconciled. You and I fight to get our point across. We will fight to be correct in everyone's eyes. But no one fights with the same eagerness to be reconciled. We would all prefer to be right and to lose everyone along the way. So don't fight to be right. Fight to be right. I have not bought a Vancouver Canucks jersey. If... Wow, that was more claps than I thought. If or when I do, when you put on that jersey as a player or supporter, you know what you're saying to the world? True, but when you put that on, you are saying to the world that you support that team, correct? Even if you never win the Stanley Cup. You and I can disagree as we have that jersey on, that Canucks jersey on, you and I can disagree on who gets drafted. You and I can disagree on who gets traded. You and I can dislike or like the manager, but you and I are still on the same team. We're not enemies. And within the team, you can still disagree. But have the same mind as the Lord because as Rain Grudem, a theologian, would state and reminds us that every human person we encounter is a creature of God who is more like God than anything else in the universe. So let's keep talking to each other knowing that we or bear the image of God. And that's why I've titled this talk as In the Rumble, Stay Humble. Third, keep the time. Paul concludes this short section by reminding Yoda and Sintiki that, and all those involved, because he names other people, a true companion, we don't know who that is, to Clement, we don't know really who that is that the names are all, every single name is written in the book of life. When I was younger, oh, so much younger than today, (laughs) for those who know. I was always told, Vin, as you get older, your circle of friends will become smaller. And at that time, when you were young and had all that energy, that was really hard to believe. But now that I'm older, wiser, and even more introverted, which translates to, I hate people. (laughs) I can see it in my own life now, taking, taking shape. So if this is the case for every single person, every single one, 
then my question is this, then what rocking chair story will we share? That's my question. Because for me, when the day comes, by God's grace, when I'm old and in my rocking chair, my grandchildren pull out old photos, whether it be on the computer, on a phone, or an actual photo album, and as we flip through, my grandchildren flip through in front of me, I imagine that they will stop at certain pictures and point, Grandpa, who's that person next to you? Will I reply with, I don't want to talk about it? And we flip through again, Grandpa, who's that person? Oh, that friendship ended many years ago. And then I'll flip through again. Grandpa, who's that standing next to you? We haven't spoken in decades. Will we just have stories of broken relationships, lost relationships, of arguments, of silence, of regret? Or will we have stories of reconciliation? Stories of friendship, stories of shared disappointments and joys. And will there be stories of you and I loving and serving Jesus together? Because time is short on earth. Very short. See, building into Christian relationships is building into eternity. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse... 11 says that God has put eternity into man's heart, on everyone's heart. You know that our world, the earth, and every human cries out for eternity. We want it desperately. Think about it. First of all, if heaven was like wearing white robes and floating on clouds and playing the harp, count me out. It's boring. But think about it. Think of the greatest, best wedding party you've been to. Reception. Think about a birthday party. Think about a gathering at your house when you pulled out Dutch Blitz. I don't know. (laughs) But think of those moments when you're sharing a meal together with friends, with family. Think about those moments You know what Christians and non-Christians say alike in the greatest of all moments? Do you know what we say? We say stuff like, where did the time go? Oh, time flies when you're having fun. Oh, I wish this moment would never end. That's what we say. If that's what heaven is like, I want that. But we make those statements never in isolation. Those statements are always with people. But church, none of this will matter if you and I as sinners, broken people, don't recognize that our sin, that we don't recognize it deeply and know our deepest need for Jesus as Savior because It is sin that actually isolates us, does it not? 
John Calvin, a French theologian from the 16th century, puts it like this in his work, The Institute of the Christian Religion. On the other hand, it is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. For such is our innate pride. We always seem to ourselves just and upright, wise and holy until we are convinced by clear evidence of our injustice, vileness, folly and impurity. Convinced, however, we are not. If we look to ourselves only and not to the Lord also, he being the only standard by the application of which this conviction can be produced. For since we are all naturally prone to hypocrisy, any empty semblance of righteousness is quite enough to satisfy us instead of righteousness itself. What Calvin is basically saying is, don't look to yourselves for truth. You've got to look to Jesus for the ultimate truth to your life. Because the truth will be difficult to face. But because we will come to realise how broken we are, tired, angry, frustrated, lonely, sad, hurt, lied to, weak and proud. And to every single person here and all the baggage that you and I bring, Jesus does not offer heaven. He offers himself. So let me conclude with this. Through all my years of ministry, some conversations never change. And one of them has to do with our young men. They'll come to me for advice on whether they should date this girl or marry this girl and you know all those things. Maybe because I've got such great marriage advice. But then they'll start off to list to me, they'll start listing off the things that they would lose if they dated or married this girl. Oh, but I can't go out late at night anymore, Vin. What about those times I get to hang out at the pub with the boys? I mean, we're Christian, we don't go to the pub. <laughs> what about my freedom? Are you telling me, Vin, I can no longer leave the toilet seat up? Yeah, if you wanna live. <laughs> and then what, I have to sit there and watch romantic comedies? Yeah, I watched the VHS version of Pride and Prejudice, six hours of nothing but dancing. <laughs> and as I start to list off all these things, you know what I wanna do? I wanna slap them in the face. But I usually respond with this. I know what you will lose, I know. But can you tell me what you will gain? You know what the response is usually? Silence. <laughs> because I've never considered the gain. They've only considered the loss. And for those of us in the room who are maybe on the borderline and considering Christianity, can I tell you? Jesus is not here to take away everything. You need to search and dig deep and think, what do I gain with Jesus? Not about what I lose with Jesus. 
and we gain. What do we gain through his life, death, and resurrection? We don't gain heaven. We gain him. And knowing this should humble us before him, but also humble us before each other. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and we humbly come before you. We repent because we always think we're right. So Jesus, convict us of our sin. Help us to turn our lives around. And for those of us in this room and beyond and those listening, there are those we've been fighting with to the point where it feels like we hate them. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to reconcile. Help us to be the responsible ones and dig deep and say sorry and mend these things because life on earth is short. Would you heal all the relationships that need healing? But would you also help us to be patient and wise with our words? And Jesus, we are so thankful that you don't just give us a place to dwell when it's all said and done, to go to heaven and just do nothing. but you get us to have a relationship with you. And even though as we gaze at you in your glory, in your magnificence, your goodness, we will continue to say you are worthy, but we will also say, I hope this moment never ends. So Jesus, we thank you. And in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen.